powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Better Than Before podcast on the C-Suite Radio Network. I'm your host, Master Coach Tony Richards. Welcome back to another great program today. At least I think it's going to be great. Coming up on the show, we're going to cover the national days for celebration for the next seven days over the next week. Two more people have passed on that I want to mention today, two singers and One's an entertainer, a singer, and another is a former entertainer term preacher. Just lost him not long ago. And I, I try not to say that. I try not to say lost. I mean, with that particular fella, we know exactly where he is. He's not lost. It's time also to discuss our business book of the month. And that's all coming up today here as I pontificate this episode of Better Than Before. So what days do we need to be celebrating? Well, today, September the 19th, Tuesday, it is National Butterscotch Pudding Day. It's National IT Professionals Day. So IT people, we got to keep them happy. I read somewhere a few years back that the highest stress experienced by people in the workplace is when their computer doesn't work or the internet is down, or for some reason they can't function on their computer. Well, the IT people are the ones that make sure that you can do that. So let's make sure and honor them and appreciate them today. National IT Professionals Day, Tuesday, the 19th of September. It's also Talk Like a Pirate Day. Argh, I'm a pirate. National Voter Registration Day, also very, very important. September the 20th is National Care for Kids Day. It's also National Fried Rice Day. And the old standard, pepperoni pizza. It's pepperoni pizza day on Wednesday. It's National String Cheese Day. And it's also National Punch Day. If you've got a favorite punch that you like to make, well, the 20th of September is the day to do it. On Thursday, September 21st, we got National Paw Paw Day. Picking up Paul Paul's, putting them in my pocket. It's a National Chai Day. So if you like chai tea or chai in your morning drink or in any kind of drink, it's National Chai Day. Also, it's National New York Day. So New York's made its way into the state celebration day. It's a National Pecan Cookie Day also. And Friday, September 22nd. It's National States and Capitals Day. It's National Online Recovery Day. National Girls Night. Ooh, Friday night is ladies' night. Oh, what a night. National Girls Night on Friday, September 22nd. National Legwear Day. National Brave Day. Oh, my gosh. How am I going to resist this? National White Chocolate Day. National Centarians Day. National Ice Cream Cone Day. It's Hobbit Day. National Elephant Appreciation Day, it's Deer Diary Day, Car Free Day, 
and American Business Women's Day. On Saturday, September 23rd, it's National Seat Check Saturday. That primarily pertains to kids and car seats. Make sure you check those car seats out and make sure they're very secure holding your baby in there while you're driving around. Saturday, the 23rd of September, is also National Singles Day. It's National Teal Talk Day. It's National Snack Stick Day. It's National Great American Pot Pie Day. National Checkers Day and Dogs and Politics Day. You'll have to look that one up. It's Restless Legs Awareness Day. You ever have restless legs? Man, that's aggravating. It's Celebrate Bisexuality Day. It is uh, Autumnal Equinox. The Autumnal Equinox is happening on Saturday, September 23rd. I should have looked that up in advance, but well, let's let's just do that. Let's take a minute. Autumnal Equinox 2023. This date marks the start of fall in the Northern Hemisphere and spring in the Southern Hemisphere. This year, the equinox arrives on Saturday, September 23rd. All right, good. Let's look at something else. Autumnal equinox are two moments in the year when the sun is exactly above the equator and day and night are of the same equal length. Also, either of the two points in the sky where the ecliptic, the sun's natural annual pathway, and the celestial equator intersect. Well, that's that's interesting. I mean, you can tell that I'm a very, very, very amateur astronomy person. I I love astronomy. I mean, I I've got a a little not too very expensive telescope that I take out at times and take Oreo and drive out. You know, you got to go out of town where there's very little artificial light. So you can see the sky better through your telescope. And so we like to do that. It's coming up on the time of the year where we like to do it, too. So Saturday might be a good time for us to do that because it's the autumnal equinox. I've always wanted to invest more in a more expensive telescope. And maybe that's something I should look into and, and think about again, because I I love looking at the creation. You know, I love looking at the stars and the special events that go on there. It's amazing to me how big and huge the universe really is. And I love the astronomy thing. It's one of those things where I like it enough that I've invested a small amount of money into it. I don't even have a subscription to any of the magazines or anything that constantly tell you what events are. I mean, there's pretty much a an event in the universe every single night. so. I don't know if I need another big time hobby or not. I mean, I investing money has become my number one thing. That takes up a lot of time and reading and research and and all that. So maybe I ought to put a little bit more investment of time and money into astronomy. Also on Saturday coming up, it's National Public Lands Day and it's National Hunting and Fishing Day on Saturday, September 23rd. All right, on Sunday, the 24th, it's National Cherries Jubilee Day. It is National Punctuation Day. Are you a stickler for punctuation? I don't know that I I am, but I do have one punctuation. What do you 
call it obsession, maybe, and that is use of an apostrophe, especially when people mean plural and they use it in the possessive. Oh, it drives me crazy that they mean more than one and they actually put one that owns, you know, where they they put the apostrophe before the S instead of after the S or no apostrophe at all. It's also Energize Day on Sunday, and it's Gold Star Mothers and Family Day. Oh, my gosh. We need to make sure we honor on Sunday, the 24th, mothers and families that have lost those in the military service. Gold Star Mothers and Family Day. Monday, September 25th, is National Open the Magic Day. For you speaking of hobbies, those of you who uh, perform magic or you do magic as a hobby, maybe at birthday parties and weekends and such. It's National Daughters Day. It's National Quesadilla Day. It's National Family Day. National Lobster Day. It's International Research Administrator Day. National Tune-Up Day. It's National Comic Book Day. It's Math Storytelling Day. And it is National One-Hit Wonder Day. What is your favorite one-hit wonder? Gosh, I if I had thought about that, you know what a musicologist I am, especially back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I should have listed my top five one-hit wonders. Maybe we'll do that since that is coming up next Monday. That's coming up next Monday, September 25th. So on next week's podcast, I'll give you my top five one-hit wonders. And you need to, that's a good journaling thing for you too, between now and then. What's your favorite one hit wonder? Think about that. What song, and I guess it could be movies too, if somebody had one big hit movie and that's the only one they ever had. I tend to think of one hit wonders in song. So what's your favorite one hit wonder? They had one big hit and that was it. No others. And it could be any format, country, top 40, rock, jazz adult contemporary, anything that you can think of. What's your favorite one-hit wonder? Okay, those are the National Days of Celebration between now and uh, next Tuesday. And we keep losing people. And this first person that we lost, and I'm just going to say lost. I personally don't like it when people say that, and I'm saying it a lot. But in terms of not being able to have this person produce any more entertainment for us, I guess we did lose that opportunity. Charlie Robinson passed away on September the 10th. And you may or may not know Charlie Robinson. I am a huge fan. Back in the 19, late 1970s, when I first got into the radio in a broadcasting business, I had the opportunity to host a show in Paducah, Kentucky on WKYQ-FM called The Outlaw Hours. And The Outlaw Hours was Friday night and Saturday night from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. It was a four-hour program that I had the opportunity to host and work on. I developed a real love of progressive country music, otherwise known as outlaw country music back then. I still listen to it today, man. I love Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. And, and so a lot of that music was coming out of Texas and it was coming out artists from Texas. And so I developed a strong love for 
especially country music, from the state of Texas. And Charlie Robinson came out of Texas. He was a student at Southwest Texas State, and he had a football career there. And then he moved to Austin, Texas in the late 80s, and he had a bunch of different bands that he was a part of. And then he finally went solo. That was around 1995, 1996. And Sony Records signed him, and he released a song called Life of the Party. And uh, you probably hadn't heard of it, but maybe you heard of his big hit from that called My Hometown. And then immediately after, he did something that a lot of artists don't do so soon. He released a live album. The live CD was called Unleashed Live. And he got signed to Columbia for a little while and did another live album. He uh, was on television for a while in the early 2000s. He was a judge on the first season of the television show Nashville Star which was a country version of, you know, all the big talent and singing shows that have been on television for so long. That was sort of a country version of that Nashville star. So like a lot of people who come from Texas and sing country music, he felt that Nashville was limiting him. So he moved to a smaller independent label so he could do more of his kind of Texas country music and He did a lot of touring and was really excited that he had so much new control over his career. And then he came out with an album in 2009 called Beautiful Day, and he self-produced it. And that is always a, a little bit of a dangerous line to walk, because a lot of times when you're a creative person, you need another person to kind of hold the line on you at times, because not all your ideas are great ideas, but when you are producing yourself, you tend to think all your ideas are great. I've always found that it's, it's more beneficial for highly creative people to have someone they trust who can hold them in a line. He was on the show True Blood, which was an HBO original series. And at one point, he was married to one of the Dixie Chicks. Or let's just, their new name is the Chicks. And he was married to Emily in the Dixie Chicks, and they have three children. So I feel bad, even though Emily has moved on and, and married to somebody else. I mean, you always have a special feeling for someone that you were married to at some time. So I'm sure that it's a terrible loss for her, and especially for the three kids that they had. Charlie had a heart attack and had some other things go on there in San Antonio. He was just 59 years old and just terrible. Now that's that's really young to pass on. Then also we had uh, somebody else pass, Mylon Lefevre. Mylon passed away on September the 8th, and he was a rock musician back in the 60s and 70s, and he was a Mississippi boy. The Lefevres band and group was a southern gospel group and he was the youngest son of his parents eva and urias lefevre and he was started out singing and playing guitar with that that gospel group and mylon was a little rebellious he got kicked out of a private christian high school and it was because he went on tour with the band is why he got kicked out 
And at 17 years old, he wrote his very first song without him. He joined the Army. He was stationed at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and he got $84 a month. And he also performed with the band, the Lefevers, at the National Quartet Convention in Memphis. And he hitchhiked 600 miles to get there to perform. While he was on stage and he was singing the song that he wrote without him, he didn't know that there was a very prominent person in the audience. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, was there in the audience. And after the show, Elvis asked to meet Mylon. And Elvis eventually recorded the song for his gospel album, How Great Thou Art. And then, of course, after Elvis recorded it, over the next year, over a hundred artists recorded that song. And Mylon said that when he wrote the song, it took about 20 minutes. It produced his first royalty check of $90,000. He took that money and bought his first car. Obviously, if you're a young guy, what kind of car would you buy if you had the money? A Corvette, of course. He was a sports car person. He, he owned a lot of sports cars over his lifetime. He was also a member of the Stamps. And the Stamps Quartet was the guy singing group that backed up Elvis. And in 64, he released his first album, Newfound Joy. In 68, he released You're Only Tomorrow. And he wanted to write and sing contemporary music that glorified God and put the attention on God. But there was no place to do that, really. He had long sideburns. He had long hair. He was not accepted in the most churches of that time because of that. I don't know if you're old enough, but if you are, I'm just barely old enough to remember the Jesus movement in the early 70s where hippies or hippie-looking people were more and more and more and more accepted over that time. That was that fantastic movie that was out earlier this year with Kelsey Grammer telling the story of Chuck Smith, the pastor in California that helped get that going. Well, before that, before the Jesus movement, I mean, long hair was not, that was not looked upon fondly by church people. And that was horribly, horribly wrong and extremely immature. But Mylon ended up getting out of rock music and he got into attending Bible study classes. Matter of fact, he quit the music business to be a janitor at a church in Atlanta, Georgia. It was kind of interesting because his music contract that he was bound to said the only way that the contract could be gotten out of is by an act of God. Mylon got in a lawyer to argue that being born again is an act of God. And that was terms to get out of his music contract. And he got out of it. And so he agreed to give up all future royalties on all of his songs, publishing and recordings to get out of that contract. That was an expensive restart. But he, he started working as a janitor at this church. That was in 1981. And he has been in the ministry ever since. He started his own ministry with his wife. And I met him a few times. And he's just a fantastic guy, incredibly sincere. I just hate it that he's gone. 
he was on television. He had his own ministry television show, and they would go around to different locations. Sometimes they'd be by the ocean. Sometimes they'd be in the mountains. Sometimes they'd be in a desert. And that was kind of a theme of the show that, that you never knew what location he and his wife were going to be broadcasting from on the television show. And it was another situation where, you know, he had cancer. The cancer finally got him on September the 8th of this year. He was 78 years old and another month he would have been 79. So Mylon, I just, I appreciate you, buddy, and rest in peace. I just want you to know I've always admired you and anybody that's connected to both the music business and the ministry has a special place in my heart because that's kind of my background too. And so Mylon Lefebvre and Charlie Robinson, a couple of just wonderful, wonderful people that have relocated to heaven. All right. This book of the month is more on the business side. And I'll tell you a quick story about my connection with these guys, and especially this one guy, because the one of them has passed on. But I first met William Strauss and Neil Howe in 1991, I think it was. And John Paracal used to have a private gathering after this particular conference that we all used to attend. And John has been a futurist consultant for years. I highly respect him. He's a he's a guy from Canada. He would always invite me to these private gatherings, and I met Strauss and Howe there. And they were just coming out with their first book called Generations. And these two guys are social scientists, and they went back in America's past and had documented these generational cycles. The whole concept of time is really, really interesting to me. So they've, you know, they came out with uh, generations. And then in 1997, I was extremely deep into their work and they came out with the fourth turning. And I read that. And now Neil Howe, because Bill Strauss has passed on, Neil Howe has written a brand new book called The Fourth Turning is Here. And in the book, he argues in favor of cyclical time, just like the seasons we have of the year, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And his belief is that historical cycles repeat themselves in a predictable pattern, even though we can't predict the events that will unfold or how long the exact length of the cycle is going to be. And as you have heard, I'm sure many times, we are destined to repeat history. But the good news is we can learn from history and feel confident that we'll be able to persevere no matter what these generational cycles may bring. And you've heard those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But what if we're destined to repeat it anyway, regardless of our understanding? During the 30s, I'm just going to give you my sort of synopsis after reading the book. And also, people have asked me this question. If you haven't read the first two books, does the third book make any sense? Or do you got to go back and read? No, you can read The Fourth Turning is Here, the brand new book. And he takes several chapters at the beginning to lay out their past previous theories. And he writes new things around those things. I, I just loved it. It was fantastic. So during the 30s, many political observers thought American democracy and capitalism were doomed. 
In fact, just over 100 years ago, the prevailing mentality was that the future would bring either communism or fascism. And that saying was every bit as hopeless as it may seem like today, and even more so. So although autocracy and populism are undoubtedly on the rise in the United States and worldwide, today's hyper-partisan politics are not unprecedented. Our atmosphere now is eerily similar to that of years between 1929 and the end of World War II in 1945. Now, in the book, Neil lays out the argument that modern history moves in generational cycles. Each complete cycle spans about 80 to 100 years. He calls it a seculum and the length of one long human life. Within one cycle, there are four eras that he calls turnings that last anywhere from 20 to 25 years apiece. And every turning has a trajectory linked with the social generations that live within that time. And, you know, four and five cycles can live at the same time. As a matter of fact, we've got that in the workforce right now. And he writes that each generation is shaped by the turning of their youth, and each generation shapes the turning they experience in midlife. Neil's book is particularly important right now because he claims we are midway through a fourth turning, the end of which is always a time of conflict and crisis. Oh, you can say that again, which, by the way, in the fourth turning, which was the book they wrote in 1997, they said that the 2000s for the first 25 years of the 2000s, 2000 to 2025, would be marked by economic upheaval and conflict between people. And goodness gracious, we've had three or four economic upheavals. And Lord knows we got enough conflict going on. And so he says we're midway through that fourth turning, that last 25-year period of the 100-year seculum. And that's always a time of heavy conflict and crisis. The Great Depression and World War II were both hallmarks of the last time we went through a fourth turning. The U.S. Civil War and the American Revolution during their respective seculums, he says historical cycles are like seasons, and each one is driven by the cultural traits of the generation coming of age and also the differences it has with older generations. The first turning is spring, a time of rebirth following the resolution of the previous fourth turning crisis. Appropriately, one of the first chapters of the book is called Winter is Coming. Fourth turning crises redefine the politics, economics, and even the constitutional arrangements of nations. Toward the end of the fourth turning, the upheaval threatens to dismantle society itself, but people band together to solve the problem and rebuild. It's almost like this movie has played over and over and over throughout America's history. And this is a book about the United States. I might throw in there, too. The most recent first turning is the post-World War II era, which spanned the presidents of Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy. And to quote Neil, he says, it was a period when institutions were strong, individualism was sort of weak, and there was a strong ethic of social conformity. And that's what he characterizes as a social mood, which not only informs institutional life and legal systems, but our very way of relating to each other 
and what we expect of each other. During those years, people are generally modest about what they thought about themselves and were taught and agreed to make a lot of effort to fit in with the needs of others. And in practice, that took the form of gendered expectations. Boys should grow up a certain way to be the workers of the family and girls should be homemakers and stay at home. There was an emphasis on community because fear of the last turning hangs over every new turning. Although black and indigenous people obviously didn't enjoy the same socioeconomic progress as white Americans, first turning era tends to see those in power strengthen institutions in an effort to avert future crises. Thank goodness a lot of that has changed today. Individuals often feel constrained during first turning years, but society itself is able to solve huge problems and there is a great sense of progress. And that's the turning that's coming up next as this theory continues to play out. The second turning is an awakening, the summer season, if you will. According to his thesis of turnings as seasonal cycles, fourth turnings, like we're in now, are winter time, in which we experience the dark and bleak shortest days of the year. And awakenings, uh, the second turnings, are like 15-hour days in late June. The last second turning years began in the mid-60s and lasted to the late 70s and early 80s. He calls it the consciousness revolution. The cultural mores of this revolution began on college campuses and among urban activists. It was an era of civil rights, second wave feminism, gay rights, and counterculture. One of the baby boomers' primary critiques of their parents, most of which were what we call the greatest generation who survived and won World War II, was that they built institutions that became too big, too strong, and they were too civic-minded. And the government stopped building so many dams, bridges, and other infrastructure. Boomers rejected the conformist, discontented man in the gray flannel suit archetype and adopted a tune-in, turn-on, drop-out ethos. And by the mid-70s, the Apollo missions were old news and the NASA funding dried up. And that's very interesting because that is the era I grew up in. So that chapter held a very special fascination for me. The third turning is the fall, which individualism is strong and institutions are weak. Big civic projects no longer work well. Civic authority diminishes and bad manners abound. These years are at times of unraveling. Oh boy, if you lived in the 1980s and you were big enough to do stuff, you could do anything you wanted. I mean, in the 80s, whoo. Society embraces the cultural shifts launched during the previous awakening era, but there are also times of political polarity, cynicism, and pessimism. Think of the culture wars that began in the Reagan years and lasted through the administration of George W. Bush. Our last third turning dawned as the Reagan administration came to power and culminated with the global financial crisis of 2008. These autumnal eras tend to feature more conservative politics and policies like tax cuts and deregulation, but the successes of the previous awakening period meant that people on the right and the left felt they could throw off all kinds of social obligation. We didn't really care about the necessarily saving of our kids anymore, so deficits became standard, and increasingly we no longer wanted to make institutions big and lasting. The Roaring Twenties, the 1850s, the 1760s, and even the 1990s are all similar in that regard, says Neil. And in these eras, young adults born during the Awakenings came of age and are rebellious. 
like Generation X, the cohort born between 1965 and 1982, and they flourished in the 90s. Inevitably, fall gives way to winter and another era of crisis, both the fourth turning marked by increasingly severe organized conflict in which new institutions are born and a new common republic emerges in which competitors are destroyed. And so Neil says in an awakening, society imposes order, structure and constraint. Meanwhile, the younger generations rebel against that, which gives rise to conflict. By the next season, the next turning, order and security are weak and people begin to clamor for more order. Millennials crave order and social guarantees. Today's 25 to 40 year olds are rebelling against their mostly boomer parents laissez faire approach to life. And that's something, too. Whenever I hear somebody in the workforce or somebody's talking to me and they're complaining about millennials, they are talking about people that are just graduating college. Those are not millennials. Millennials are 25 to 40 years old now. Boomers are very cavalier about risk-taking in their own lives, Neil says. As a generation, they tend to be quite individualistic. They like to live alone. They don't care if they know their neighbors or not. Millennials, on the other hand, are extremely peer and community-oriented. They flock to social media in spite of its drawbacks. A fishbowl existence and constant feedback from others is something that they enjoy. The fourth turning is far from over. Neil predicts that it will last through about 2030, and the society-changing revolution typical of fourth turnings is still coming. Oh, boy, more turbulence. He admits it could take the form of a global armed conflict or even, oh, hang on to your seat, even another American civil war. But one thing is certain in every season of change, the swiftness and permanence of the mood shift is only appreciated looking back, never when it's happening. In other words, we hardly ever recognize history when we're living it. In the meantime, we'll just have to wait and see how it unfolds. But I highly recommend the book, The Fourth Turning is Here by Neil Howe. And how does this apply to you, you might ask? Well, anybody who's going to be managing people in the workforce, you're going to be recruiting people. We've got a generation you probably don't even know the name of uh, graduating from college and entering the workforce. And you need to know a little something about them and uh, a little something about the generations who are possibly going to be coming down the road. And uh, not only from an employee standpoint, but also a customer standpoint. What are the thoughts and moods of your customers going to be over the next 80 to 100 years? If you're a strategic planner, that's really, really important to you to have some of that psychographic input, not so much demographic, but more psychographic. What are the mindsets and traits and preferences of those customers that are going to be coming in and participating in whatever business you're involved in? That's Neil Howe. It's called The Fourth Turning is Here, and I highly recommend it. It's heavy. It's a heavy book. So, you know, you may not be able to read much at a time, but then at the same time, once you get going on it, it's so engrossing and interesting. I couldn't put it down. I read it in about two and a half weeks. All right. That's our program today. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 clearvisiondevelopment.com is my website. 
And if you're into this program, all the episodes of Better Than Before for six years worth are in the archives there. We also have 20 years worth of my writings there in the resource section. There's also a small video library of some things that I've placed in there for your growth and development. And so go by there, sign up on the homepage for the Monday Morning Memo. And every Monday morning, uh, as you come to work, you will find my memo in your inbox of your email. All you have to do is put your email address in there and you're subscribed. I appreciate the thousands and thousands of people who get that memo every single week. I always get some feedback from people almost every single week about what I've put in the memo. Special thanks, as always, to our super producer, Tessa Hall. And until we visit again next week here on the C-Suite Radio Network, I'm the host of Better Than Before, Tony Richards, reminding you of the most important thing I could tell you, and that is everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.